Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with men's guide and facilitator, Paul Samard. Paul is a TEDx speaker and a trained mental wellness and small group facilitator, as well as a coach focusing on men's and couples, as well as small to medium-sized organizations. He's the founder of Humanity, and I love this, a peer-driven support community that encourages men to connect more deeply with their emotional and physical selves, as well as a facilitator and men's coach. His work focuses on men of all ages in small group, as well as one-on-one coaching. He uses a variety of tools in order to create a very safe space for participants to move through the range of experiences from stress and anxiety to addiction, abuse, and trauma. His primary goal is to help participants to create a deeper sense of alignment within in order to set the foundation for more empowering and fruitful relationships, whether this is at home, in the community, or in the workplace. He is also the author of many articles on mental wellness, masculinity versus femininity, and leadership, and has been a guest on multiple podcasts. And I'm so thrilled to have him here today. This is a really deep conversation. And I I love going deep with podcast guests. And we definitely did here. We talked about his work and his guideposts and what he does. And I loved how he explained like remembering versus permission and understanding how they are both so important when it comes to really understanding your own growth journey, the messaging around shame, vulnerability, being open open, blame, discomfort, and how it all intertwines in our relationships and experiences as humans. And I love this last question. We got into some deep conversation on how as women, we can create an open environment that is more conducive for men to share their experiences and emotions. This is important, not for, not just for us in our relationships with our significant others, but as a mom of two grown men now, and so many moms out there This is so important by learning how to model the relationship that we want to create and letting go of the control and allowing our kids to learn by their own choices and learn through life. That is how they are going to really create the life that they want and own their own choices. And I think that is just so beautiful how this tied into exactly what we like to talk about on the show. So I'm so grateful for Paul, for his time, his expertise, and everything that we covered in this episode. I know you're going to love it. Welcome to the show today, Paul. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. We've run circles for probably a year and a half where I've seen your information. I've seen part of your story. I've listened to your podcast. So I'm really honored to have you here today. 
Uh, and likewise, Marcia, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I want to dive into a couple of things first, because we've had some already some deep conversations before we even hit record, which I love. Um, first off, you are, where are you right now? I am based in the ancestral lands known as Jojage, lands that have been cared for and stewarded by the Ganyongahaga Nation and known today under the colonial name of Montreal. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, What is something that most people don't know about you? Hmm. Something that most people don't know about me. Something that most people probably don't know about me, although I think it's something that is also akin to many peoples who come to this journey, that we're going to get on this journey, is that I've always felt a deep disturbance in my my place in the world. And what I mean by that is there's been a discomfort from a very young age of wherever I happened to find myself turned me into a seeker. And I think most people wouldn't know that about me because, you know, my mentor, Justin Kingsley, once told me, you know, Paul, one of the things I love about you is probably the thing that most people do is that, you know, you always know when we're sitting on a conversation who I need to meet in order to get shit done. Mm-hmm. And so there was this aware, there was like this, this projection being put on me that like, I've got it all together and that I know who people need to meet and that I understand what people are going through and so on and so forth. And it's like, yeah, but I'm still seeking, you know, and underlying it all to a certain degree. And this is actually really honestly just coming through right now, even through all of those relationships, I realized that I was seeking mm-hmm. and that my seeking was happening through the people that I have the pleasure of connecting with, which is maybe going to mess with me for the next little while. <laughs> Great. No, I- thanks, for be- thanks for inviting me on the show, Marsha. Good to go. Oh, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. It's yeah. all good. We just got started. And yeah. I I appreciate you sharing that because, again, we were talking about perceptions before and mm-hmm. how so many people will have, like, we, we all do. I think that we've all had perceptions of other people. And with that comes judgment and all those things. I think all that's all amplified with this world of social media right now. And sometimes it's like not knowing what... Like what's, what's real? Because I always, in my brain, I might look at something online or see what somebody else is doing. And sometimes depending on my state and where I'm at, I can immediately fall into comparison. I can. And then it's like, no way that no, you're going to celebrate what they're doing. And that's their highlight reel. Like, I don't know what their day, that's the highlight reel. Cause mine's the highlight reel, but I do share, I do, I am more open than some people, but that's the thing is we can't get stuck in that comparison to someone else's highlight reel. I so agree with you. And I think what we need to understand is that everybody's got a highlight reel, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone has a highlight reel, including the person who doesn't think they have a highlight reel. And so they're not on Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case may be. Everyone has a highlight reel. And I think it's incumbent upon anyone who's doing this kind of work to just if you're going to put your life out there, just put your life out there. Don't only put the highlight reel. Because in my experience, all that is really doing is creating a false reality to the point where if someone does decide, as an example, if only I ever did just put my highlight reel up there and someone decided to work with me, 
then the moment things go sideways, the whole house of cards falls apart because it was a house of cards. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas if they know that I'm, you know, uh, a kaleidoscope of good days and bad days of, you know, really, really, you know, the proverbial dark nights of the soul, but then also, you know, walking and everything is, you know, sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, then they're going to understand that what I'm inviting them into is the human experience and that it's okay, mm-hmm. that that's in fact what we're here for. I absolutely love that because I think that's, we also know that's where connection comes from and connection comes from being real and letting people see the real you, not just the highlight reel. I had somebody once say to me that you swear on some of your posts and I don't think that that's appropriate. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) but, and that's fine. But it's funny. I look at it and go, I'm very, I get very passionate when I'm coaching with clients and sometimes that's going to come up. It is. And so why not be real? So that when the person who does connect comes in and decides to do coaching, and then we do one session, they're like, whoa, what's this? What's this all about? Because that's not what I've been seeing online. I'm like, you got to show, you have to show who you are because your people, the people you can impact, they'll find you. If you, if you keep showing up, they'll find you. A hundred percent. And I love that story about the swearing thing, because the first thing that came into my mind was, hmm, I wonder what's like hiding in that person's oh, yeah. past and history that has them triggered so much by a swear word, right? Because as you would know, as well as I do, those things that trigger us are never about the other person. They're always about something inside of us. Mm-hmm. So we call them triggers as if there's something that somebody does to us. But in fact, there's something that someone shows to us mm-hmm. about ourselves so yeah Beautiful. what is it about the f-bomb that gets you going that's what i want to know i know i right? it's, it's so funny because i think after you have done i i don't want to say done some work because i don't want people to think that it's like you have to be at a certain point that's not it but when you can start to put the frame of reference that people are only ever speaking from their own experience like that's what the trigger is and it really starts to open up things. So I know I've done, I, I believe I'm here to create some triggers for people. And, and because I want to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about, and that's going to really help some people. And it is not going to speak to everyone and that's okay. Yes. It's it, well, it's okay. Yes. It's okay. Cause it's not our job to not to worry about those that aren't ready to look at it. Um, and the invitation is always going to be there. And I think their their discomfort, which is something we talked about as well before we record, you know, their discomfort is is going to be an underlying theme in their lives until until they're ready to to take that look. But you're right. There's so many people who are putting their hands up right now for help and support and to quote unquote do the work that the ones who want to keep their hands in their pockets, I'm going to let them keep walking down the street. Yeah. I actually, and that's such a, that's such a great point. Um, I do get that question a lot. I'm curious if you do, and I want to dive into your story in a second, but I just want to ask like one, because I talk a lot about stories and really allowing ourselves to be seen. I cannot tell you how many times I get, but how do I get them to change? How do I get them to see it? What do I need to say to make them get it? And I'm like, it's not your job. You have to be you constantly. So I don't know if that comes up because I really want to dive into more of your story, but I don't know if that 
what that well it definitely resonates with me because a lot of the a lot of the conversations that we have around let's call it men's work so that we can keep it in a in a language that a lot of people can resonate with but a lot of the conversation we have around getting people involved in men's work is often through the partner right so it's the wife or or the boyfriend depending on the kind of relationship it is and or the husband and it's understanding that you you can even if you were able to get them to get on a phone call as i had actually last week it was in fact um, i was speaking with a young man whose mother had encouraged and you know it's great that he got on the call and it was a wonderful call and he's a, he's a great kid 26 years old and if he's not ready for the next step because he's got it and he's good and he's fine beautiful responses that men have had you know sort of injected into their vernacular um there's not much that i can do about it so we absolutely hear it all the time but again there's so many that are putting their hand up right now that i i also kind of see it as that proverbial proverbial snowflake that lands on the mountain and starts the snowball that becomes right so sooner or later you're not going to be able to get away from it because again speaking for men's work this is a tsunami um, that is absolutely taking over the world not with the intent of i was going to say not with the intent of destroying but i think it does have some serious dismantling that it's intending to do around things like capitalism and patriarchy and, and the like but uh it eventually i believe everyone's going to at least take a look and wonder what's going on over there i think gonna so. have to. i do i do i think so too i think so too so you are a men's guide and facilitator and i i'm excited for this conversation because a couple things I want to share quickly. I was at an event in 2018 and it was like 600 women in the room and Lewis house was the guest speaker and he he's a phenomenal speaker and I love his podcast, love the work that he does, but he spoke in such a way that was so powerful because he said, we are leaving boys behind. We are leaving men behind at this point. And he says, I'm, I'm thrilled to be in a room of 600 women and you're all like lifting each other up, but please know that if you have boys, if you you know want a better relationship with your spouse, like how can you open up more communication to provide for more males in your life too? And it was such a, a, a switch that I was like, okay, now I understand. Now I also raise boys. So it really spoke to me. I actually went immediately up and stood in line to meet him first told him the work that I was doing. And I just asked him for his two cents and what he thought. And he was like, well, your, your boys, the boys in your life will learn from you. Even if you don't, like you're not trying to teach them, they'll watch from what you do and how you show up and what you do. But he said, you absolutely, like if, even if you impact other moms who have boys, now you're creating a ripple. And I was just like, okay, that's, that's absolutely beautiful. So I wanted to, this is why I was excited about this conversation, because I still, like when I say looking for podcast guests, nine times out of 10, it's women are like, I'll go, I'll go. And men, I'm like, where are the men? Like, I want to get more men to talk. So I'm excited to have you here. Um, what does a men's guided facilitator mean? Oh, such a beautiful question. And actually, so let me start with 
um, why I chose those words. Um, my, my actual preference would actually be mirror, but I think that would be uh, confusing for people. Yes, exactly. Um, it would go over people's heads, but, you know, and I, I intentionally sort of stayed away from coach and I, I definitely stayed away from executive coach because it speaks to a certain status that needs to be acquired before I'll give you any of my time, which is not at all the case. And so a guide and facilitator, you know, I really focus on two key milestone, northern stars, let's call them. Um, one is remembering and the other is permission. Um, and the first one around remembering is remembering, remembering that you matter. Remembering that you are, and some of these are going to be very sort of um, stereotypes, but they're stereotypes for good reasons because they're true, that you have all that you require. Something that you spoke to, I think, before we hit record was that everything in your journey was absolutely necessary to get you to where you are. And so all of it needs to be remembered and honored and, and celebrated to a certain degree, although that's hard. Remembering that wherever your trauma comes from, whether that's a parent, whether that's a brother, a sister, or someone, you know, someone else, especially around, you know, sexual trauma or physical abuse or something like that, um, remembering that A, it wasn't your fault, and B, that they were a product of their own upbringing. And so that invites both grace towards yourself and towards the other, which is critical. And then when it comes to permission, it's just, you know, even myself, right? Like, why wasn't I being, you know, the father that I wanted to be? Why wasn't I being the husband that I wanted to be? Why wasn't I being, you know, the the salesperson that I wanted to be or the entrepreneur that I wanted to be? Well, for the most part, it's because I wasn't giving myself permission to do that in the way that was meaningful and in alignment with me. I was doing it with what I thought society wanted, with what I had seen growing up. On not just in real life, but more importantly, probably on things like TV shows and movies and all those things that are celebrated, right? Because at the end of the day, we all want to be acknowledged, mm -hmm. right? And the greatest acknowledgement that exists as a nine-year-old boy or a fourteen-year-old boy is, you know, being the guy on the movies on the movie screen or or being the guy on the TV after the game that's just won and he's the MVP and all these things, right? So permission is absolutely huge and. The first place to start for me when it when it comes to working with men is giving them permission to actually explore what it is they're feeling. You don't even want to say to feel what they're feeling because that takes time. Um, but to just explore it and and to just start to put names to those things can be deeply cathartic. So I guide and I facilitate them on that journey. I liken my role as being guardrails on a highway, on a cliff, <laughs> right? Well, that um, analogy. My, 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 my role isn't the actual highway. That's you and your journey. But I'm here to make sure you don't go too far off the cliff or smash into the mountain. And, and we're going to weave. We're going to go on both sides of the road. So I'm also going to be there to just make sure that no oncoming traffic. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great analogy. And I mean, again, back to it's never a straight line anyways, right? It's, we have one, we think we've got to figure it out and then in comes another challenge. And now we weave trying to figure that out and going internal to ask. I, I love that you said exploring 
what they are feeling instead of figuring out what they're feeling, because that is a, I knew my husband was going to come into this conversation, but it's like, there are times, especially now, because we've literally worked in the same tiny space for two years now, like literally like table desk. And there I would go to him. I'm like, okay, I just need to talk. I don't need you to give me an answer. Can you just listen? And, and the first few times he was like, okay, but I think and I'm like, no, no, I don't want an answer. I just need to, to talk. And so it's not that, but he's like, that's hard because we're meant to figure things out. We're meant to problem solve and figure those, those things out. So I love that you said that allowing them to explore what they're feeling as opposed to figuring it out. Yeah. Because the minute you start to try to figure it out, you move completely away from the actual feeling you move into their heads Mm -hmm. and, you know, a common saying, I think in a lot of spaces, but certainly in men's work is the longest journey any man will travel is the one from his head to his heart. And I actually would take it one further because science is actually teaching us now that even more of sort of how we operate and show up in the world is, is rooted in the gut which is why we have things like gut instinct and gut feeling and follow your gut and all those things because there's a there's an energy center there and a knowledge center there. So if we're already struggling to get them from their head to their heart, well, we got lots more work to do because then we got to take them from their heart to their gut. But that's where the magic will happen, right? And so just understanding that as an example, you know, first of all, always speaking from the first person experience. Always. So if, you know, they were in an argument with their partner using things like you know well you know when you get into an argument with your wife and you're really pissed off and i'm i'm going to reel them in right away and i'm going to ask them to speak from the eye and the minute they speak from the eye and then they land on a language you know i got really angry i was that I'll, i'll sort of like okay let's sit with the anger so when you're feeling the anger where is it showing up in your body I don't want to know what you want to say. I don't want to know what you want to do in that moment. Where is it in your body? What does it feel like? Put your hand on it. Can you actually lay your hand on the energy? Just get a sense. And then let's just stay there for 30 seconds, which freaks a lot of guys out. And I know that because it freaked me out the first time I did it. And quite often, that'll be the end of the journey for that day. It's like, okay, you, you've created a relationship with mm-hmm. that anger because anger is not No emotion is inherently bad. Anger has its place. It's our relationship to these emotions that are the problem, including love. If I have an unhealthy relationship with love, I become needy, I become clingy, I become dependent. One would argue that it's not actually love. But if that's how I have my experience of love defined in my brain, well, you know, that's my emotion. So it's, it's, um, it really is a journey and it can be quite interesting to see how, you know, somebody will have their anger showing up in their throat, right? And, you know, some will have it in their chest and others will have it in their legs, which is always an interesting one for me because that's what my experience was too. Well, thank you for sharing that. I 100% believe that we are here to teach, share the knowledge that we have learned and we can't teach, impact, serve others on information we did not leave really truly live firsthand. Like I think just to be our best selves, I think it has to come from something we have learned. Can we amplify our skills with knowledge and books? Sure. But I do think that so as a men's guide and facilitator, what brought you here? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've already, you know, sort of alluded to, which is to say my whole life. Yeah. brought me here right all of my experience are exactly what brought me here but there was um there was a moment in particular that i would say really 
change the direction of how I was journeying on this, let's call it the self-help journey, because, you know, I remember the first books I read on this, you know, track were The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck, and then after that, there was like The Celestine Prophecy, you know, Donald Walsh, and Conversations with God. So I was always reading the books, but, you know, this will maybe shock and disappoint some of your listeners, but just reading the books, it doesn't work. You actually have to do the work. So try as I might, you know, the evolution that I was thinking wasn't happening, and then it most importantly, to answer your question, in 2017, I walked into the office of my then boss to discuss what I thought was the annual plan for the next year. And I had my Excel sheets and the data points that we needed. And what was supposed to be an hour-long meeting lasted seven minutes, where he told me that we were going to be parting ways and I'd lost my job. And first it was it was, that was the first time that I'd ever lost my job for one, but there was also something about the way in which it was done that just rocked me. And I literally felt like the wind had been completely sucked out of the room and out of myself. And the first thoughts that came into my head were maybe not in the room, but when I left it were, well, if I'm, if I'm not earning a living and I'm not the one that's providing food and the shelter or my capacity for that has been taken away from me and what am I when I walk through the door of my house team and I remember you know I went to pick up my daughter from school and always very affectionate with my youngest because she was the only one of an age who would who would allow me to continue to do that the others are too old especially because of dad and it was like the hug was a little longer the embrace was a little tighter um, and the emotions were definitely stronger and you know but then the shame kicked in and as I walked through the door, I was like, I can't tell anyone. I can't tell anyone about this. Um, first of all, it'll freak people out. The single income family, um, I needed a plan. Right? Um, I needed to be able to sit down with the people that I um, was doing this journey with in life and say, this is what happened. And this is where we are going because like your husband I, I needed I needed them to know that I was going to fix it right and that I had a plan and that I got this um, and so in fact that went on so I had one week that I was allowed to stay with the organization and then on the following Monday I nonetheless put my laptop in my bag I packed everything up as if I was going to the office and for three weeks I went from books, um, coffee shops to libraries until finally, actually, one of my friends was like, who, who I had shared this with. He was like, you're doing what? You're going where? No, 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 no. You're coming into the office. You've got a team, the coffee, like we got you, right? And so, so, so that was, you know, kind of a saving grace because what allowed me to do is that to spend some time and sit with what I was going through without actually saying that I grieved it because that's one thing I realized I, I didn't do. I didn't grieve what had happened. And, and I wish that I would have even known what that meant back in the day. But more importantly, again, back to your question is I found myself not only looking for the next opportunity and how to support my family. And I was fortunate because of my network, I'd gotten a couple of small contracts. And so I knew we were going to be okay along with the severance. That I had received, but I started Googling things like, what does it mean to be a husband? Like, what does it mean to be a father? Like, 
if you don't have these things, there must be some kind of a definition that lives outside of being a provider. And um, it eventually led me to what does it mean to being a man? And that's where I started to uncover men's work and so on and so forth. And it's been a four-year journey um, ever since then, one that sees me doing what I'm doing today in a very organic way because I, I this was not part of the plan. And it's something that is actually, I would say, again, if you think about like, I don't know, mushrooms or any kind of vine or something, it kind of like grows and takes things over, <laughs> right? Well, that's what men's work has done. And I've, I've been embracing it. I've been embracing it. And I'm super grateful to to work with the men that I work with, to work with the organizations that I work with, and to be contributing. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. Because I think that that is where some of the most powerful work comes from is organically when you do you or anyone listening, you do the work first, you take those lessons and you continue to pay it forward. It's, it's really is, I find so many times people want the business to come and it's like, how do I build the business? And I love to really just reframe that. And it's like your, but you are your business at all times. So you, the business doesn't stand on its own. You are the business. So you have to do that work yourself. And you did that. And then organically unfolded in different ways that that it was like, oh, this is why I'm now able to do this work. Yeah. (laughs) You just reminded me of a quote that one of my mentors who I've not had the chance to meet yet, but hope to one day, Stephen Jenkinson said about what his accountant said to him about his business at one point. He said two things. He said, number one, for a one-person show, you've built an extremely successful business. And the second thing he said was, and when you die, the business dies with you. <laughs> and and the reason for that is because it's it's Stephen's life that is the business. And that is not something that, that you can like create necessarily a, a you know a succession plan for like because no one else is going to have had Stephen's experience and no. so the best thing that he can do is try to support others to go and do the work in their version of the experience mm-hmm. um, which is which is what I'm trying to do with with how I show up I love it. I love it. You, um, you said something you said, I've got notes here cause you've said a bunch of things that I want to make sure I go back to, but one of the things that, um, I do want to open up and talk about is there's two things. So I'll go with my gut. Didn't grieve the identity loss. And I think that, um, especially these past two years in the pandemic, like there are some people, I think that one of the best quotes I've heard is, is that we're all in the same storm, but we have different boats. And I just loved that quote because there have been so many people who are frustrated with where we are, but their life really hasn't changed much. Like, in fact, they're working from home and maybe not even being as productive. Who knows? I don't know. But then there's others who it's like, like my identity completely changed. And I did not, I had like a day. It was, a. I pretty much gave myself a day because I had a feeling that, it wasn't going back. My gut was like, this is the break you've been asking for. This is the time. So go. But then I went full tilt. And then all of a sudden there was a moment. I remember what it was like, okay, but your identity is different. That's how you lived in your last career. You pushed and pushed and pushed and burnt out. That was the identity that you don't have to do it that way. Now, this is a different identity. And that, so I love that you said that. And I would just love for you to touch on that. If you can about grieving that change or identity loss. Yeah. and. 
you know, what's important, I think, for me as a starting point around grief is just to highlight the fact that, you know, we've also conflated this notion of grief with sadness, right? So when people will hear that I didn't take time to grieve, they'll think that I didn't take time to be sad. Um, and that's not it at all, right? Sadness is, is an emotion. Mm -hmm. It's the energy around a situation that is built up. Grieving is, the, is something we feel, right? It's, it's an action. You know, we, we say that we feel grief, and I would argue that if you're feeling grief, that's closer to feeling sadness, but grieving is a process. And what I didn't take the time to do is to really sit in and sit down to the experience, to the moment, to literally go over and like celebrate all the great things that I had done, right? Which is part of grieving. Um, and then to take a look at where I was in this moment, right? And to fully feel into the uncertainty of that moment, which is another big word for me in this time, it's uncertainty, something we seem to be allergic to as a society right now. And then to, sit, to move forward from that place of, of having really gotten to know this moment of Paul without employment in this moment right like what does that actually feel like? what does that actually look like and when i was under employment what was my quality of life what was my quality of emotion what was my what was my quality of how i was showing up for my kids and so on and so forth other than those sort of societally societally accepted metrics of provider and supporter how was i showing up for my kids and how was i showing up for myself that's that's grieving right like that's bringing awareness to the entirety of the moment and there's nothing inherently sad about that it's acknowledging that a change has come and feeling into that change and then moving forward and moving through as much as one is able and you made a great point of of acknowledging that that's not who you are anymore right so right. i was never going to be that person who worked for that organization again so i should Create that, and I should celebrate that, and I should acknowledge it. And of course, the grieving process is going to look different when you're losing a job versus when you lose a loved one. I don't even like saying that anymore. When a loved one dies, you know, so grief and the process of grieving is going to show up differently depending on the context. Um, but as as men, if we don't do that, it becomes more something we're looking to suppress and move through. And that's definitely what I did. Right. So I definitely wanted to suppress it. I definitely wanted to move through as quickly as possible. I wanted to get that strategic plan in place so that I could create peace and equanimity for everyone else, because that was my primary focus. And so that's why I didn't even think to grieve, because that's not where my focus was. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that, because I think that that is um, very, very relatable. Like a lot of people understand that it's like, I've got things to do. So I just have to keep going. But we all know that when we keep suppressing so many of those things, they don't go away. They just, it's like the pot is boiling and boiling and boiling. And all of a sudden it'll come out in a time when it's not even related to what's happening. Like it'll come out. Sometimes emotions will come out and it's like, where did that come from? 
well, I didn't think that I did anything that was that wrong, but it's just been suppressed for so long that all of a sudden it comes out when it doesn't even make sense sometimes because the body, I just believe, um, and I've heard you reference it, but like the body keeps the score, mm-hmm. the body holds on to it. It holds on to it. And then all of a sudden one day it'll come out in a completely disproportionate way because the body's like done holding on to this. Can we please let go of this? Yeah, absolutely. And what makes it really toxic, and I'll speak here again for men, is that our pressure cookers that are building up also have a sensor on them as to who we can direct that at without feeling threatened, right? And so who becomes the target of those releases? Most often it's our partners, it's our children, right? And or it's the unknown people who are, you know, in a shopping mall, right? And so we have mass shootings and we have all of these, you know, toxic toxic expressions of masculinity that, you know, we we see men expressing. And we always look to say, well, well, what was it about that place or what was it about that person? that that got him to do that to them without ever or with rarely looking at well what was the series of experiences and circumstances that got them to that point in the first place right i don't think there are too many men who have such a grudge against a particular shopping mall that they're going to walk into that shopping mall and shoot it up mm-hmm. right i mean it just it's a very rare situation and yet these things happen luckily you know not as much in Canada as they do elsewhere, but in, in the U.S. certainly. But we don't look at what got them there, right? And, you know, in a time like this where we're, you know, it, it sounds like you're in a good position working on a closed space with your partner, but there are a lot of people, primarily women and children, who because their husbands are having to work from home, they're literally trapped in a home with their abuser. And the government is telling them they have to stay This, this is what's been breaking. Like this breaks me because I, yes, I, we've had a number of friends whose marriages have ended the pandemic. Just, I, I, I feel like in times like this, it brings things to the surface that are already there. Like it amplifies, Mm -hmm. it amplifies. So it's not that it's like, Oh, this came out of the pandemic. I'm like, no, it was there. This amplified it. And we've joked many times that it's like, you know, we're grateful that we get along (laughs) and we, can make it work. But we also have this weird sense of humor sometimes where I'm like, okay, this is too much space with you. I need a break. (laughs) And that doesn't mean anything, right? It doesn't mean anything bad. We joke about it. But when I, when you talk about this, I, this is not talked about enough. And I'm just going to say like the, the repercussions of what we are living in, in Canada for the past two years. And I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but it's, the repercussions is we haven't even touched them. We haven't even seen them. They're not even close, not even close, not even, not even a glimpse of what we're going to see. And I think that's what is scary as a, you know, a mom, we dealt with the mental health association multiple times. Mm. I can't even tell you years ago, how hard that was to even get support then, then now I, I, it breaks my heart. And we talk about, my husband talked about this many times. I'm like, could you imagine what they're going? Like, I just can't even imagine what they're going through right now. So the repercussions of that, 
And yes, you have people trapped in homes that are there with abusers or not in not in an environment where they could flourish and, and grow and be themselves because, you know, some people are trying to make it work in a tiny little space and, and house. So anyway, sorry, I just had to say that. No, it's, it's, I it's, it's, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think it's so important what you're saying because you're speaking to something else that came up actually in the last week or so uh, at the time of recording, which is the underlying purpose for the virus. And I do believe that the virus has a purpose and we're all trying to figure out what that is. And for the most part, the narrative in society is very patriarchal, which is to say we have to defeat it, right? So its purpose is for us to defeat it and to, uh, for us to once again, demonstrate our power over nature. My, my invitation, and I think it applies very much to what you spoke to both in the families, but also in people's careers and things like that, is that I'm actually leaning in towards this notion of the virus being a question. Mm-hmm. And the question, you know, might be different for all of us, but in, in the case of, you know, let's speak about men, you know, is, is how we've been raising men, how we've been raising boys, is that how we want to raise boys? Is that how we want to raise our men? Are these the, are these the ways that I want to spend my, my work days? How many people right now are going through these, um, career questioning crises mm-hmm. around how they're actually doing their work um, and how they're showing up. So, you know, and I think more importantly, from a societal perspective, it's it's just a question of, you know, is this actually the kind of relationship we want to have with each other? And more importantly, with this planet, because all of, all of what we're hearing right now is so anthropocentric in terms of how we're approaching this. Mm-hmm. And we forget that we don't matter. The planet's actually going to like. I think, I think there's somewhere written down that it's like three months after all humans would go away, nature would just take over almost everything again. And re- three months and re- wow. Yeah, three mm-hmm. months. Three months we'd be gone. And even if it was three years, that still goes to show how insignificant we are. Right? Like we don't matter. We need to stop thinking about those things from that point of view, and. And because of that sort of human-centric and the pressure and the socialization that's been put on men in order to be that, we feel the most at threat. And so we feel the most aggressive towards what we're seeing in this moment. Most of the people who I know who are not that, like, we've got to conquer the virus thing are actually women. Those who are actually taking the time to sit in uncertainty, to actually like reflect, who want to kind of like hmm, feel into this, like most of them are women, most of the guys, like whew. just go and take a look at some of my social media posts. The guys are like so quick to respond with like, no, we got to beat this thing. We got to beat it down. And it's like, well, now I understand too why that energy is showing up in your home. Right. Wow. I, I love what you just said, and I know I'm going to go, be going back to that message because even when I ran a women's group last week, we were doing um, a coaching call, and we talked about you know working through some of our own issues, our stories, and things that we've held on to. Like we have to be in a space where women need to feel safe 
to be financially responsible, to be in a space where they can grow, they can do the, I, we need you to feel safe, to be able to grow your business. We're change makers here. I'm not saying men aren't, but we are change makers here. And there's something that's really interesting that you said that brought up something, but this is like our tic-tac-toe. You say something, Mm -hmm. something, which I love. It's all good. But when you talked about the patriarchal approach, the virus of trying to like squash it, fix it, stop it. I can't tell you how many women, maybe that's just the cycle that I'm in, but how many women I talk to, they're like, it's never going away. How do we make it work? It's not going away. Like, how can we make it work? Not like diminish it, but how can we make life work with it? And it's interesting because I'm going to lead it this way is that we have seen a lot of people in a space and energy of blame in this last like division and blame to me, I see nonstop. Now, one of the things that I have always believed and that I subscribe to is just part of my DNA is that like my life changed when I stepped into ownership and that meant owning my own choices, taking responsibility for myself. That's the opposite of blame. Blame is when we are in this space of pointing fingers and waiting for everyone else to change and saying it's someone's fault. And I read something this just this morning, not by accident. And it was um, through Brene Brown. And she, she was talking about how blame is actually pushing out discomfort. You are pushing out discomfort on someone else, expecting that change to happen. So I have no idea where that question is going to go, but I just want to throw that out to you because you sparked something in me that I wanted to share that I, I love it because what you've actually just done is invited in this notion of uncertainty, right? So first and foremost, I think it's super important that when we talk about patriarchy or masculinity, there is ab- actually nothing inherently wrong with any of those words. They are not inherently toxic. They are not inherently negative. If you go and look at the etymology of patriarchy, it means of the father, which is the same as matriarchy, meaning of the mother. So it's not, and that's why I'm very careful in saying the expression of patriarchy and the expression of masculinity or the way that we express it in the world. Because in fact, all of it is required. All of it is required. We just need to create better relationships with it. And the problem with the way that the patriarchy is currently being expressed is this notion of power over, right? So the industrial revolution brought us into this place where all of a sudden we could conquer things. Right? We could conquer steam, we could conquer energy, we could, we could control of these things. And it became an addiction to control. And also, you know, it became this, this notion of mastery also became um, a very dominant thing. And, and we started to see that in universities where you get these hyper, you know, universities at their early days, you, you know, there was no differentiation between psychology, sociology, business, like it was just all happening at the same time, right? Like it was just a place of shared learning. And then we became hyper-specialized um, to the point where everything now has been broken down and siloed. Some universities are making a shift away from that, but for the most part, it's still the same. Um, and so all of these things, the, the notion of certainty, of mastery, um, are really they're, they're, they're counter to the actual human experience, right? Human experience is inherently uncertain. That is just the way things are. And people will say, oh yeah, but I'm uncertain about how things are gonna go in two weeks. I'm uncertain. Yeah, you can, it's very easy to project your uncertainty into the future. Mm-hmm. The challenge becomes when you can actually sit in your uncertainty in the 
moment, right? And what does that look like? It looks like, well, I'm someone who's vaccinated. I'm someone who believes in a mask. I'm someone who, who does these things. And when I feel into it, I'm like, hmm, there is parts of me that are saying, yeah, but there's more to this than that. I'm not certain that the vaccine is the portal. I'm not certain. And so where I feel the invitation around things like, first of all, we're going to have to do away with patriarchy at least for a while because it's got such baggage attached to it. Mm-hmm. It just does. Um, and in order to do that, though, what I feel we need to also avoid is this, um, and I may upset some of your listeners here by saying this, but like one of the things that makes me almost equally as sick as seeing expressions of you know toxic patriarchy coming out into the world are these movements of like the future is female or the future is feminine. I, I get uncomfortable with those as well because I think of all of the 14-year-old boys who are out there who are already struggling to find themselves and they see that and they're like, well, I'm having these emotions of anger. I better suppress them. And the minute they take up that habit, you're creating a problem that's going to express itself in very unhealthy ways in 10 years. And we're going to point the finger at patriarchy and masculinity. Mm-hmm. Right? So really what we need to do is to come into that place of uncertainty, which allows us to move between all of these different energies in the current moment to feel them, to explore feeling them, back to that one of, one of those original points we've made, right? And then to show up in that moment that best reflects who we want to be literally in that moment. We need to start living moment to moment. Literally. And we don't want to do that. We just don't, we're, we're just not ready to do that as a society. And you can point the finger at whoever you want, as long as you want. But the fact of the matter is, is that for every person on the side who is going, well, I'm just going to use a word called, I'm going to say compliance, for lack of a better term. But for every person on that side, I can find someone who is on the other side Who's being equally as toxic because they're calling people sheeple and they're shaming and they're condescending and you know there's these mocking memes and it's like you're not helping either because both of you are so committed to your certainty you're both committed to your certainty that's your starting point i'm going to bring in stephen jenkinson again for one moment because heaven forbid that i only quote him or, or call him in once in any podcast so here he comes again but you know the result of this is we have a, a lack of elderhood in our society right now right and, lack of and elderhood a lack of elderhood the lack of elderhood is the capacity to take your experiences of your life and to allow them to provide a portal and insight into the current moment through those experiences in a way that um, is an invitation, right? So I don't want to tell a young person how to do any one thing. That's not elderhood based on my experience. That's, sorry, but teaching or coaching, right? Or projecting, right? What I want to do is share with them my experiences and ideally end with a question Mm -hmm. right invite them into a place where they've got to start to create their own capacity to navigate 
um, and and really to bring it into this conversation a little bit more tightly with men's work, but that's the work that also is being done in these movements, right? It's the passing on of experiences to invite them to be more fully present in their own current experience. When we do that, it's really hard. It's really, really hard to do nasty things to each other. Mm -hmm. Really hard. It's really hard not to make better decisions. Like really hard. And of course, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to be growing. And we're going to be moving through in a way that's a little bit more, again, a word that's been a little, there's too many hashtags associated to it, but a little bit more conscious. Yeah, no, I think everything you've just said there was so, it's so powerful. And I love, yes, I like to think of, I don't know why I can't think of the name of it, but if you've got like a line on the one end, we've got the one extreme and on the other end, we've got the other extreme. I don't think either of those ends are going to move. It's, and so spending time trying to move those ends isolates people here who are like, wait, can we just do better? Can we find a way to do better for each other? Because I can't, I can't control what's happening on that end. And not only isolates them, it mutes them. Mm-hmm. It mutes them because of the noise happening on the extremes. There is one beautiful thing though that I'll stay around the idea of the extremes. And I can't remember who it was who said this, but you know, imagine that they are on a, on a, now I'm forgetting the word too. And I had it a second ago when you said you can remember, but on the line, right? Well, the more and more people that come on that line and the louder they get, they actually like start to bend it towards each other, right? Like imagine like a piece of rebar. Oh, I love that analogy. Right? So sooner or later, they're going to realize that they're both coming from the same place. And when they come back to that same place, guess where they are? They're back in the middle. So they're going to be forced into the middle by their own extremism because they're going to realize that it doesn't function, that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's going to be painful on the way to get there. And I'd, I'd say that we're feeling that. We're feeling the, the capacity for that pain and for that difficult moment in time um, because there is so much hate. There is so much anger mm-hmm. being expressed in the world today in unhealthy ways. And, you know, people like you, Marsha, people I'd like to think like myself, like we need to find a little bit of comfort knowing that by being in the middle it only highlights that that we were born here exactly for this oh (laughs) i you don't even know this about me that is one of my mantras is Mm -hmm. when i feel the anxiety kick in or the frustration or i'm juggling a lot of different energies and i just don't know how to process it this is what I actually even started to do back when the, my boys were younger and we were really dealing with chaos. It was like, you, you are not here by accident. You are here for a reason. You know what to do next. You know what to say. You're not here for everyone to agree with. Or it's, you're not here to change the world. You're here. I think feel like to hold space to support others in the process And so, yes, there are so many times a week where I'm like, no, you chose this time. Mm -hmm. You're here. You chose this time. You're not here to play small. This is not the time. Yeah, right. A hundred percent. And I would argue, I would not even argue. I would just say that, in fact, everyone is here to change the world, but we need to let go of the illusion that we're going to save the world. Because again, the world doesn't need saving. The world, the planet, the earth is going to be just fine without us. 
And when you take that pressure off of yourself and you think, okay, well, if I'm going to change the world regardless, what do I want to do with that power? Because that's a superpower we all have. A hundred percent. Yes. Like even someone who spends the entire life in their basement, if I never left my office in the basement ever again, I never spoke to anyone ever again, I'm changing the world because of that. Mm -hmm. Because had I gone out into the world, it would have been different. Mm -hmm. So my staying in has changed the world that could have been. Oh, I love this deep conversation. Have you read um, Mitch Albom's book, the the two of them, the five people you meet? Oh, okay, so there's I'm adding my, them to my list. Yes, because it's I love the ones where it's like the story that's built in. But the reason that I like it, there's two of them. They're on my shelf right now. But the one is like um, I think it's the five people. There's two of them. It's, there's also about the people you meet next when you go into, into heaven. Mm. The reason I, the reason I love that book and it really ties those books and it ties into what you just said is the fact that in this story, the people that were impacted were not the five you would have ever expected. (laughs) They were not, they were not like, you know, your family, your, they were not. And it was like looking at the story and seeing how like this one decision to show up here, be this way, give compassion, give kindness, then change that person, which then changed their, like that allowed them to go in. And I think that's the piece of humanity that I really do latch onto is that I believe we make impact far past the one direct conversation. And that's something I really love to be behind. Yeah, absolutely. Ripple effect, right? How many people, how many people will, I'm going to not talk about this one, but how many people will listen to a podcast you did last week or two weeks ago that you'll never even know that they've listened, right? right. And it might change their life in some way. Yes. Right? So you'll, yeah. you'll, you won't even have a clue. No. But no. that's what happened. But if you put it out there with that intention, it's so funny because I, that's my intention every time I do it. It's like, it will land in somebody. It will land for somebody today. Might never know who that is. And that's okay. But if it lands for somebody today, then that's that's perfect. So many, so many um, incredible conversations here. I do have a couple quick questions for you if um, your time is okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I know this is not a small topic, but vulnerability. I love how... I've heard you say it and I'm not going to, I'm going to let you explain that. But the one thing that really spoke to me is like, I, I am vulnerable person. I very much am. Am I vulnerable about every single thing that happens in my life? No, I'm not like, it's just not because I didn't understand this until probably last year I went through back surgery and it was not something I knew was coming. It came really fast. I was really scared. I'm not going to lie. Um, And it was during the pandemic. So I was by myself in the hospital, almost died twice. I didn't tell anyone other than my immediate close friends. Even my husband was like, I can't, I'm surprised. You're not saying anything. And I'm like, it's not time. So I think that there's time for vulnerability. And I didn't share it till a month later because I needed, and and as my health was really challenged in the hospital, I swear that saved me because I think vulnerability needs boundaries. I think that it needs boundaries of some way, shape, or form. I think vulnerability is incredibly important because it's how we build connection. But I do believe that it requires boundaries. And I heard Brene say this, and I and it spoke to me, but vulnerability without boundaries is manipulative. 
If you go out and share like your, it's all open book, then it's like, what's the intention behind that? I think that, so I know you have thoughts on vulnerability and I really wanted to pass that over to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I totally hear you. There are, um, yeah, you know, vulnerability in the way they almost manipulate vulnerability when people are trying to be manipulative is also obviously not healthy and it's not something that serves anyone least of all themselves let's just be very very clear on that because it can create a false sense of quote-unquote healing or integration and that this is my process and oh i'm being so vulnerable and in fact they're they're only further deepening the trenches of their own shadows right um and so i stay away from those people like I would the plague. Interesting parallel in a time of pandemic. Vulnerability is interesting. So when I first started to be vulnerable, you know, as I started to move through um, the early stages of my own journey on men's work, um, I do realize that some of that was actually almost feeling as if I had to be vulnerable in order to find my place within any of these you know, brave spaces that I was showing up in, as I like to frame them. But, you know, vulnerability really only has its place when it's feeling called on its own. And when that's the the situation, my experience has been that as a man, I've been socialized to be far less vulnerable than even I'm ready to push through. Um, That being said, um, without realizing that I was changing the way I was seeing things, I did come to a place where... um, if something was coming up for me, I was much more ready to lean into it fully and to allow it to be seen and allow it to be felt and heard by by others, particularly um, men. And you know, one of the pieces that's important about men's work is why why should men do the work with men and not with like women or with mixed groups and things like that? One, men shut down typically in front of women um, and won't go quite as deep as they may if it's only men but also you know it's not we've already we as men have already put enough on women in society and it's not for them to also carry our shit i hope that's okay oh it's more than okay i love that so so my bringing this in with other men who have the capacity hopefully to hold that space and if they don't all do it at least some of them will i'm sure then allows me to go back into my space with a female partner or even with my children and if i have anything to share i've already gotten all of that chaotic feminine energy if you will not to be mistaken with female energy but feminine energy to flow through once so that I'm now able to articulate it in a way that comes from empowerment as opposed to neediness or all of the different emotional things. But but vulnerability also, and the analogy that I'm using of late, you know, is is still difficult for men to lean into. And I think, you know, when I think of vulnerable, if I was trying to think of something that is an equivalent out in nature, you know, the, the picture that I invite people to draw is in their minds is you know the turtle that's on its back in the middle of a busy highway like that's vulnerable that turtle is things are not going to end well and so there's this notion of like weakness but also being exposed and it really is you know vulnerability in the way we're talking about is really a one-way street so it's me being vulnerable sharing everything that i am experiencing in a given moment that i want to share that's vulnerability um, and again, for many men, 
Um, it's wonderful to see so many, many more, but for many, many, many more, many of whom are in power and a lot of the structures that we have built, vulnerability is like a non-starter because it makes them look weak and they think people are going to take advantage of them and so on and so forth. On the other hand, if I invite someone to open and to, to lean into the situation, lean into what they're feeling, lean into their experience with a sense of openness, well, not only does that feel less weak, if I can put it that way, or, or there's lack of, there's a, a, a diminishment of that sense of, of weakness, but it's also allowing for the two-way flow because not only is the giving out of my experience cathartic for me, but in fact, a lot of the times in my experience, the receiving of it is equally cathartic. And so by being open, I'm allowing for that exchange, for that flow to happen between us so that we can create a shared experience that allows us to both integrate something through whatever is being shared. Mm-hmm. As a man, I would argue as anyone actually. I, so I. In, in particular, for the work I'm doing as a man, I can get behind that a lot more easily than I can behind being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the outcome is the same. Maybe even enhanced because of that that you know exchange that will happen more readily. Um, so inviting the openness and and some people say, well, you know, no, I just really want to be vulnerable. And I'm like, okay, well, you're probably one of those people on IG that I'm probably going to stop following because there's probably going to be this manipulative element to it without me passing judgment, of course, on anything you're doing, but it's just not for me. Um, so, so that to me is the nuance around openness. And I think that if I was to sit down with president of the United States or my next door neighbor, and I talk to them about openness um, and an invitation for them to be open, I'm much more likely to get them to actually be open than if I sit down and say, hey, Joe, let's be vulnerable. It's just fine. Right? Yes. Right? Yes. Actually, the current president might actually lean into that. Because he's a little bit more open, but maybe not also. But the previous one, you know, vulnerability was not on the table, but openness might have, but it might have been. I had a better chance with openness than I do with vulnerability, that's for sure. So that's where I'm kind of, I, I kind of seen myself going in the last little while um, around vulnerability shifting to openness. I love that. I, I heard you say that before, and I knew I wanted to ask that because I love that explanation because it really brings into if you're open, then you're also willing that feedback receiving coming back and forth. It's an equal exchange. I love that analogy. And I think it's not even um, because I can speak from women and not necessarily men from this standpoint, but there's a lot of women that are terrible at receiving too. Like it is just, it is just not, I don't know why we've deemed that being not strong. I don't know. It's so strange because I can guarantee that that also ties in really closely with self-worth, with worthiness, feeling like able to receive, asking for help. It's not weakness. It is not weakness, but this is, so I really am going to lean into the words open because I I love that explanation, how you, how you shared that. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely question for you. How can, with all of the things that we've discussed today, how can women, I'm just going to ask this question, how can women open up these lines of communication? How can they do their part to, because it's, it's, let me just put it this way. It's also opening up the lines of communication 
but for our boys, for our spouses, not because we have to take more on. So women just calm down when you heard me, but because it actually improves relationships too, right? It, it does improve. It's not about fixing. We're not fixing either, but how can women, what do you see there or just as a society that we could do that would continue to help this? Yeah. So I think, first of all, first and foremost, thank you for this question because um, I, I feel that the more women who ask this question, the better chances are that men will come and do the work. Because um, at the end of the day, sorry guys who might be listening, but the masculine always bows to the feminine. Mm. That's just the way it goes, right? Like. Wow. There's no getting around it. Deny it all you want, guys. Go bang your drum. Go do whatever it is you got to do. It's you're 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 it's unavoidable, right? And so, I think one of the things that I would suggest, because, um, and again, it's all about the words, right? So, how can we get the women to, as opposed to calling men out, which is actually very much in the patriarchal sense of things but when when a man does something and it um it it triggers you or it gets you angry or you know he's doing something wrong like like he is just wrong like they're just calling him out getting angry diminishing all those kinds of things it's never going to work we would invite you to consider how do you can how can you call your man in mm-hmm. right and and modeling is a great way of doing this so if 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 a woman isn't doing their own work going and telling a man to do his wow <laughs> right like mm, it's a little hard it's a little hard to do 100 percent Right. So there needs to be a demonstration. And that doesn't mean you need to have a coach or it doesn't mean you need to. But, you know, none of this requires any money necessarily in order for you to say you're doing your work. Right. Like women are much more inclined to be journaling, are much more inclined to be meditating, to do yoga, to do all of these things that are like we kind of categorize them as self-care. Um, whereas, you know, men go to the gym, work out, drink beers you know, talks, sports and stuff. <clears throat> so that's one of the things. If you're in a position where you can model, then call them in. Mm-hmm. And but call them in very directly. Don't don't be um don't don't play in nuance. Like we're not smart enough for that kind of stuff. Again, sorry guys. But nuance doesn't work. Like you 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 gotta be direct with us, right? It's like look, I'm doing yoga, I'm doing like I'm doing everything that I can to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to feel supported and safe in this relationship, I need you to think about what you can do, right? Like that's not imposing, that's not telling, but in order for me to feel supported and safe and whether the man will admit to it or not, his protector and his provider archetypes are gonna be triggered, right? So, and and that's the other thing, like we're slow. You're gonna have to tell us more than once, right? So, Keep calling us in and, and, you know, if you can provide us with the resources, I know that sounds like you're doing all the work now, but it's like, again, you're going to be much more aware of, you know, 
couple of the organizations that I work with. I'm, we're about to launch one just for dads coming in, in February that I'm super excited about. You know, so it's really the first place is calling us in, right? The other thing is I'm still trying to understand how we do this better, but we can't just expect society to initiate our boys into manhood. We just can't. And so at a certain point, mom, who's out there raising a son, you're going to have to find the place, find the way to let your boy go out into the world. And this isn't when he gets a job and graduates university. That's, it's way before that. It's like 13, 14, 15 years old, right? So where are the places that you can introduce him into the world where you're letting go, where you're making the intentional cut of the umbilical cord, right? Because without that initiation piece, we're, we're, we just continue staying in our boyhood. We just continue staying. And there are more and more organizations that are offering these kinds of things, right? But we need to create that separation from, from mother and son in a very clear and distinct way. And I also don't think that the answer necessarily a, you know, a camping is going to be that. Like, that's, that's not what it's going to look like. There, there needs to be some sort of, of an initiation for our boys. We also need to make sure and... I would argue that the moms are better at not doing this than the fathers are, but when the moms pick it up they need to let the fathers know it's not okay, our language, right? Oh, man yeah. up, right? Man up. Don't be such a, I'm not going to use the word here. Yeah. Um, stop acting, stop acting like a girl. Um, all of these things are damaging yeah. language, right? And Football coaches, hockey coaches, baseball coaches. This is still something that's hard to walk onto a field where 14-year-olds are playing or practicing or whatever. And if you stay around long enough, you're probably going to hear somebody say something along those lines at some point. Yeah. And it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. Our boys deserve better. And as a father of three girls, so do my daughters. Yes. My daughters deserve a generation of men who can stand shoulder to shoulder with them and know exactly how best to support and provide for them. My daughters deserve that, but it's incumbent upon us as parents to make sure that they're there. And right now, I'll be very frank, Marcia, that's not what we're doing. We are doing the exact opposite. We are creating a generation of boys who are emasculated, who are confused, who are disconnected from themselves and we're expecting technology to fix it to be perfectly frank oh wow that is such, that's so powerful what you just said it's really so powerful what you just said and if we're not in a space that we know how to safely build connection technology is not going to fix that that's not like that's not i'm glad i asked that we've question forgotten, we've forgotten that uh, the real purpose behind technology, whenever possible, is to transfer our relationships from the digital to the analog. And instead, we've allowed it to replace, mm -hmm. right? And we've made, it, we've made it okay that the digital is our new mode of, of engaging and building relationships when it's only meant to be a facilitator. Back to the facilitator word. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that because as a mom of two boys, I can openly say that when we were going through our biggest challenges, 
I didn't handle it great. I know I didn't. And it was, I, because I'd spent most of my life in a very, as a very strong masculine female, that was, that was not, I had to learn that the hard way. And the second it came to a space of my job is not, I, I, I would say it all the time. My job is not to push and pull you through life. I will walk beside you. I will guide you. I will be there. But if you want to make those choices that you're making, then you will have the consequences of your own choices. And you're going to have to decide to do something different. The second I stopped trying to fix, manage, control everything that was happening around me, it wasn't overnight by any means, but things started to change. I I can't even, and I, I remember at first I didn't do it because I felt like it was going to fix them. It's not a manipulative way of saying that I did it because I didn't think I was going to survive anymore. If I didn't, if I didn't let go, I actually don't think I was going to, I don't hundred percent. I remember a tipping point going, I can't do life like this anymore. Like, I don't want to be here. This is not what I want to be part of. And let, but it's funny because when I think back to when I first had them, we used to joke all the time. And I'd say to my husband, like our job is to raise them to be functioning in society. Our job is not that I'm still feeding him at six. Cause I don't want him to get messy. That's just, just let him figure stuff out. Like let them figure yeah. stuff out. And so I, I love all of those um, examples that you gave. And I can say as somebody who has come through a lot of this experience here that we have, I have better relationships with my boys than I did ever, like ever. Is it perfect? No, but it's significantly better. And it will be nothing for them to send a message, to want to talk, to, you know, go through something, to be in a space, to like always walk in the door and say, or thank you, mom, love you. Like little things like Mm -hmm. that, that might seem like nothing, they're huge considering what we went through. So it's just really interesting. And I thank you for sharing that because I think that that's, it's collectively that is going to make the change. And that's by inviting them to come like creating space and be open and allowing them to come through those spaces and their own, because I can say hundred percent school was not giving that message at all. Don't even get me started on school and boys, because I think, I think we're failing I think we're failing a lot of boys right now in school. I don't know what it's like now. I'm sure it hasn't changed drastically in the last six, seven years, but it it was not built for boys and um, they were always wrong. And the more I really look at it and understand, I've been doing a lot of different shame research. A lot of school systems will use the process of shame with boys Mm-hmm. or, and no change comes from shame. Like no, no change. In fact, actually the behaviors only amplify. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would argue that by the way, schools were not made for girls either. No. The patriarchy has just been so overwhelmingly effective at breaking down the ways in women that it doesn't feel good, no. that it now looks like it's working for them only because it's working better for boys than boys. Yep. Right. But the truth of the matter is, is that um, you know, force feeding answers, force feeding data, force feeding information without the curiosity, the exploration. And really, you know, when it comes to the conversations that you, you, you talk about with your boys and, and trying to get them to make better decisions, we do have, we have, we're coming back to this place of certainty and mastery, right? So, so much of it has come from that. I know better. Here's da, da, da. 
And yet if we flipped the model and said, instead of them coming to us with, with questions, why don't we ask them questions about why they're feeling a certain way about a certain thing when it comes to a life decision or whatever the case may be. And just in, in, we are the ones who have the capacity to understand the breadth of the situation they're navigating. Mm-hmm. And so we are able to understand the questions that need to be considered within that breath. Let them come to the answers. Yeah. Let them come to the answers. Just ask the questions. Mm-hmm. They're smarter than you think. And back to this notion of like place and time, they're the ones actually living in this place and time. Mm-hmm. Right? They're the ones that are growing up in it. Yeah. Like there's no way with my brain the way it is that I could handle the rapid pace of everything going on in the world today as a 15 year old, like they, they needed to be born in the time they were born in order to be able to, I don't know if they're keeping up to be perfectly frank, but to, to be able to have a chance to keep up. Right. Um, so for me, if, if you were to continue to have those conversations with your boys coming from a place of curiosity and questioning, then Marsha, you're eldering. That's what they need. Okay. There's, again, I think I could talk to you for hours, but it's so funny because when I look at, and I don't say that in a bad way at all, but when I look at my generation and my family, eldering is not happening. (laughs) That is not, that's not, it's very much, there's very much a lot of um, frustration, finger pointing, blame, uh, really hard energy right now. So it's, it's just interesting. And I, um, yeah, it's so, it's so, so I'll wrap up the eldering piece by saying, you know, one of the great, one of the great enablers of that. And again, Stephen Jenkins talks to this very clearly. What do we do with our older people these days? You put them in homes, yeah. you shuttle, you shuffle them off. We force them into retirement at a certain time. Yeah. Um, all of the messages we're sending to them that basically shuts down any capacity for them to elder if they had it within them mm-hmm. is being told no no you're going to go over here now. not not being heard yep shuffled aside put into the corner set it set, set aside so all of the messages we're sending to our older people is that you are no you are no longer elder. right and that means your knowledge too mm-hmm. right so by bringing it back and again i think it's it's the work that, that we get to do is to think about what it might be to be an elder, mm-hmm. right? And to understand as well that you don't get to put the same way as a shaman, right? Like I love people who are self-proclaimed shamans. No, <laughs> the community gets to decide who the shaman is. And yes. If they call you one, then you get to be one. Well, it's the same thing with eldering, right? So it's only in how we show up for the next generation and the generation after that and how they turn to us and how they look to us to support mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. that will determine whether or not you're elder. Not anything you actually decide to do or decide to say. Like, that's not it. It's how do you show up for them, and then they will decide. Wow. Wow. That was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Seriously. Okay. So where can people connect and find you and follow and learn? Uh, well, despite all of the talk we've made about technology and all the things like that, definitely, you know, I'm on Instagram and I'm guessing in the show notes, they'll have me there, but just yeah. also on there. We have, I'll just quickly mention, I mean, I do 
My one-on-one is through uh, Humanity, M-E-N-I-T-Y. Thank you. Um, I do a lot of group facilitation work through an organization called Sacred Sons, which is a beautiful organization, global, amazing. And the project we're about to launch that I'm super excited about um, in support of dads is called The Dad Cave. The Dad Dad Cave. Cave. Oh, I love that. Yes. Um, And that's going to be a place where we can do a lot of the stuff that we talked about here today um, around, you know, mental health and the the inner journey and all that kind of things. But it's also going to be about getting school, the skills and tools and and how we can better support each other, how we can better support each other as dads on this journey so that, you know, our legacy is something we can be proud of. Dominic Cartuccio says the definition of hell is being a man on your deathbed and meeting the man you could have been. And so the goal here is to bring that as much into alignment as possible mm-hmm. through all of these things. That's beautiful. That's, yeah, that's, we all, I mean, I, I would love to see as many people as possible get to the end of their life with no regrets to say, did I actually like live up to what I could do? Could, did I actually take that is, and there are so many times that I have a gut pull to say yes to something And I'm like, I don't have a clue how that is going to work. Like, I don't have a clue, but then I think, will I be, how will I feel later if I never tried? And it's like, Oh, got to say, yes, I'll figure it out (laughs) because that's, I just don't want to be in that position. This has been an incredible conversation and I'm so grateful that we've had this time together. Um, Question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? It's going to sound very simplistic and it's still one I struggle with, but. I matter. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Honestly, thank you so much for everything you have shared today. And I cannot wait to continue to see how your work unfolds. And it's just so important right now. And I appreciate you stepping into this space and doing the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Marcia. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life. <laughs>